0: If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. We are starting James chapter 4 tonight, and I'm just going to jump right in because it is beautiful and amazing, and in Jesus' name, it is going to touch our hearts. So James, he was... The little half-brother of Jesus Christ. As in, grew up in the same house, watched the lifestyle, listened to the words of Jesus. That's amazing. Whenever Jesus died and resurrected, James gave his life completely to the ministry. And when Paul and Barnabas and Apollos and all the other disciples are going out and they're planting churches outside of Jerusalem, James stayed there and founded kind of the church of Jerusalem, the mother church that was sending these apostles into the rest of the world. So he had a huge responsibility. He writes his letter to the churches outside of his own church, and his letter that circulated all around the Mediterranean has three major themes that turn up over and over and over again. They are, keep your mouth in check, keep your hands busy with serving, and what? Keep yourself holy before God. I remember when I was a kid, I used to have this fish tank and it would glow in the middle of the night. It was cool. I had all sorts of different color fish. I had fish that like stuck themselves to the wall, little suction cups and stuff. And periodically, actually not nearly often enough, I would need to clean this bad boy. And so what I had is it was called like a fish tank vacuum or something. It's not high tech at all. It's basically a clear cylinder with a little screen in it, a rubber tube that runs out. You put it in the bucket, you <laughs> siphon and put the, and send the water into the bucket And you stuff this cylinder down into the rock, right? Now from the top, the rock just looked a little grimy, but you jam that cylinder down into the rock and it starts sucking and circulating that rock up into the cylinder. And all of a sudden you see this black cloudy fish poop, junk, fill up the tank and go up into the cylinder, the rock would cycle down clean and that nastiness would come out the tube. And you'd jam it down into another place and it would suck it up and just everything would be disgusting. I mean, seriously, black fish poo was everywhere. So often, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He comes as the spirit of holiness with his fish tank vacuum and we look pretty good on the outside. Yeah, we, we may not look pristine, but he starts peeling back the layers of our heart, and there's a whole lot in there that we really didn't want exposed, that we've done a really good job at hiding and covering up. To begin our scripture tonight, before we jump into chapter 4, we need to recap the end of chapter 3, because James is kind of like winding up for chapter 4. We're going to read the last few verses. It's James 3, 13 through 18. He opens up with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works, his actions, his lifestyle, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be bo- do not boast and be false to the truth. Like, if you have this jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, don't even try to put on a front. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. As in, what you're receiving back, a harvest, what you get back of righteousness is sown what you plant in peace by those who make peace. So he's saying, look, if you want to reap righteousness, you have to sow seeds of peace. And what you're needing in your churches right now is you're needing peacemakers. I don't know about you, but I'm like, What's going on in the churches that James is having to hit this pretty hard? He's saying, like, what's going on in your churches is jealousy and selfishness and some peace makers better step up or your righteousness is going to be compromised. So what is going on here? So let's pick up in chapter 4. James is going to spend the next five verses dealing with the condition of our hearts, and it's actually the condition of the churches. And it's a little scary how close it is to the churches today. If you've been in one or multiple churches, you've seen this happen. Verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So what's going on in the churches? Quarreling, fighting, division, animosity, dissension is happening inside the churches, inside God's body with with God's people, backbiting. This is crazy. And he makes this phrase, your passions are at war within you. This is a concept that Paul brings up, and it's in some of the, the best verses that like give me a, a comfort because it's like, good, I'm not alone in this. We're going to go to Romans 7:15 for just a couple minutes, and I'm going to skip around a little bit just for, for time's sake. 7, verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. Oh, thank you, Paul. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Let's jump to verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody relating right now? Me? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, another law, warring, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And here's Paul's conclusion. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm hopeless. I don't know where to go from here. I'm trying to do what's right. I keep doing what's wrong. I try to avoid what's wrong, and I keep doing it. I don't know where to go from here. Wretched man, am I, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this? Paul is speaking this desperate question. He's going, I'm in trouble. Where do I go from help from here? How can I be fixed? Peter also picks up on the same. So that's Peter, Paul, and James are all picking up on the same theme. Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, people that are weird, different from society, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So when James says this, when he says your passions are at war within you, it's out of this war inside that we're torn, that there's this battle happening It's out of that that comes jealousy and selfish ambition, and these are dividing the church. These are causing that very destruction that he's discussing. I'm actually pulling from a true story from a girl that I knew growing up. Her mom had a drug addiction, so she would send her little girl into the store to steal food because all of her own money went to her habit. And so this little girl would get in trouble for all kinds of stuff. Now, imagine with me if this little girl had been taken out of this very evil household, and it wouldn't be appropriate right now for me to discuss everything that was going on within her house, and say she was adopted by a loving family with a godly father. right? She's been adopted. She is now a part of a new family. But imagine, continue to think with me about, maybe that old mom would still come to the fence at recess and try to influence her. Maybe she would send her text messages or emails. Maybe every, every chance she got, she'd sort of try to sneak around and influence her daughter in some of that old sin. That daughter is free. Do you understand that? She has been adopted into a new family under new authority. She is free. She is separate from that old family. But it doesn't mean that that old influence still tries to rise up and convince her to do things that are against her very new name, her very new identity. And so we had this war, this old flesh that we've been set free from through Jesus Christ on the cross. It is dead and separated from us. And now with our new identity, it still tries to whisper. It still tries to speak through the fence at recess. It still tries to influence our actions. But where before we were in that household and forced and compelled to sin, we are now able to, to rebuke it in Jesus' name and walk in holiness. Are you understanding the war that I'm describing right now? These warring passions is what's destroying from inside the churches. James chapter 4, verse 2. James like calls them out. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I've got a two-year-old daughter at home. I won't name names. Nadia. And anytime she doesn't get what she wants, if you're walking out a door and you don't let her close, you, you happen to close it not thinking, she lays on the floor on her back and screams and kicks because she's two. James is saying here, hello, you're acting like tantrumy 2 two-year-olds in your churches. You're so busy bickering and fighting, you're not walking in the maturity of Christ through the Holy Spirit. You're not defeating that old nature. Instead, you're letting it win inside of you. And you're just whining and griping and bickering. I love this opening line, you desire and do not have, so you murder. James is not saying that within the church, it's like the wild, wild west. People are like leaping across houses and stabbing each other. James is referring to Jesus's words. Remember? Younger brother Jesus heard his teachings. Matthew chapter 5, 21, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. The judgment of someone who is angry and hating somebody else in God's eyes is on the same plane as someone who would murder. That's not, John also picked up what Jesus was talking about. John, first John 315, John says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So when James is talking about this, he's saying, look, your hate, your anger, your bickering and division against each other, you're going to stand before God in the judgment of murderers. It's time to grow up past your tantrum 2 two-year-old selves and begin to walk in the maturity of Christ. He also uses the word coveting here. He says that you covet and cannot obtain. Covet means a strong desire for something which doesn't belong to you. They have it, I want it, and it eats me up inside. They are, and I'm not, and it burns me. President Theodore Roosevelt was known for using the phrase comparison, as in comparing myself to them, what I have to what they have, is the thief of joy. Another way of saying it is that comparison is the enemy of contentment. Consider this, when you compare yourself to someone else, you always lose. Always. Because either you put yourself above them, I'm doing better than them, I have more than them, and you are now in pride, or you come to the conclusion that you don't have what they have, you're not as good as them, and now what? Now you're insecure. Now you've lost. Now you're coveting. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. Let's keep going. James 4, just the first sentence, 4 verse 4. This is what he has to say to them. The churches, godly people, you adulterous people. Is he accusing them of having extramarital affairs inside the churches? Maybe. But he's actually referring to an Old Testament theme that is pervasive throughout all the prophets. It's like almost every prophet touches on this theme. The best way that I can sum it up is that God sees his people as being in covenant with them, in love with them, in the same way that we see as a marital covenant. And when his people worship idols, when his people elevate everything else but him, it is as if they have broken covenant in the same way as a husband or her wife betraying their spouse and committing adultery. Every prophet touches on this. I'll just read Isaiah fifty-seven seven. You have committed adultery on... Hu- On every high mountain, there you have worshipped idols and have been unfaithful to me. That's God's perspective. Every time you elevate a sport over Jesus, every time you elevate this game or your lifestyle or your sin, every time something else takes a higher seat, sits on the throne of your heart instead of Jesus Christ, we are, in God's eyes, betraying him in adultery. Now, do they have stone idols sitting in the middle of their house churches? No, that's not what's going on. So what are they worshiping? Let's continue that verse. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? Enmity means strife, hate, opposition, hostility. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is not pulling punches. He's not candy coating anything. He is throwing down here. He has got to communicate an important theme, an important critical juncture in their lives that is either going to destroy the church or they'll be able to grow beyond it. They are worshiping the world and the culture and the society, trying to blend in, trying to walk the fence. And just like last week, we talked about how our mouth, we couldn't fill our mouth with both righteousness and godliness, or both unrighteousness and with godliness. Our lifestyles have to be the same way. We can't both try to appease the world and try to look like the world and try to worship the world and at the same time call ourselves a godly people. We can't walk the fence, remember? The devil owns the fence. There is no foot in both camps. Now this is not James saying that you're only allowed to be friends with Christian people. That's not what he's saying at all. How can we be salt and light in the world if we only stay in our own little bubbles in our little homeschool... Sorry, not insulting homeschoolers. In our little, like, protected places. Love you, homeschoolers. Christian schools and churches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get my point. No, no, no. Being friends with people that don't worship God is one of the most beautiful bridges to having a voice in their lives. However, we cannot allow ourselves to be influenced by them. We are called to be holy. That means set apart. We should always be weird to the world. We should always be different and unique from them. So if our friendships end up influencing us, trying to make us like them, trying to make us blend in with them, then that is a friendship that we've got to back out of because we have to keep our mouths in check, keep our hands serving, and stay holy before our God. But I do encourage you to reach out to people that don't know Jesus, to reach out to people that are different because that's being salt and light. Verse 5, I love his sarcasm. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, get this, he, talking about God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. It's reflecting God's creation of man, and he breathes life into man's nostrils. He puts his spirit into man. Exodus thirty-four fourteen says this, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's that adultery theme coming up. That in the same way a husband would be jealous of his wandering wife, in the same way that a wife would be jealous of her wandering husband, God is jealous for us and desires us to return to him and is angry at the things that pull us away and at the sin in our heart. Jealousy means fiercely protective or vigilant for what belongs to you. Anybody in here belong to God? Amen. God is jealous for you. I love this. It's this so beautiful. Leviticus 26, 12. Don't say Leviticus is boring. God says this. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Do you hear love in that? If love is saying I choose you and set myself apart for you, listen to what God is saying. I will walk among you. That's a reference to God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, that personal intimate relationship. And then he says, I will be yours and you'll be mine. What a beautiful picture of love. James has described the human condition, and it's lost. And he's described God's attitude towards it, and it's not good. That selfish ambition, that jealousy is dividing God's people. And through our hateful hearts, our choice to worship the world, we make ourselves enemies of God. It's scary. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? It's a silly little story. Actually, it's a true story the bank hired a janitor. And on this particular day, the whole bank was taking off early. They're like, yes! Getting home early. It's going to be great. And the janitor also was excited about going home early. So he tried to rush through his work. And this bank had a policy of shredding all of the trash at the end of the day. And unbeknownst to him, the janitor collected up all of the deposits of that day. Thousands of deposits and shredded them. When the bank realized their error, they did two things. You can imagine what the first one was. And after firing this janitor, they hired a team of people, laid out a whole bunch of long desks, and they sat there with shredded checks and shredded deposits and tried to use dates and names and and businesses to try to put these checks back together again. Can you imagine? People's paychecks, businesses, income, Your grandma's birthday present. All of this stuff shredded. It made the headlines. And the headlines were three simple words. An impossible job. You could never put together all the checks that had been shredded. No matter how many people you hire, it is simply impossible. And here's how the little story ends. The remorse of the janitor could not change the outcome of his colossal mistake. We are hopeless Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then James lays down a fork in the road. Thank you, Jesus, for forks in the road. And it's so simple. Verse 6 But, and that is a beautiful but, that butt is wearing astronaut pants because that butt is out of this world. I love that but. But, the most important but in the Bible. But, he gives, don't miss this, sorry. If I derailed you in my ridiculousness, please don't miss this. This is so beautiful, but he gives more grace, period. Here's my sin and I'm hopeless, but he gives more grace. Is your sin huge? His grace is bigger. Is your sin wide and deep? His sin, his grace is wider and it's deeper, but he gives more grace than your depravity, unrighteousness, sin. Wandering, adultery. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, fork in the road, but gives grace to the humble. Who will we be? Will we be the proud that lives in jealousy and selfish ambition, or will we be humble? And if you're in here and you're like, me, pick me. I want to be the humble. Teach me. I got good news for you. James is about to go there. Grace, yes, God, I need your grace. I'll take that fork in the road. James gives us the path to grace, and this is God's invitation tonight. Verse 7 Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Think of all the tasks that people throughout time have done to try to appease some deity. Think about the massive things that they've done. James could have said, Climb to the top of this mountain find this old relic, fill it up with water, carry it through this valley to somebody, do this sacrifice. No, it's not a list of stuff. It just says surrender. There's a silly old Indian tradition, Native American, excuse me, tradition from back in the day where to honor their deity, a young man would fill his mouth with water and cross a desert in a day and at the other side of the desert he was to spit out the same amount of water that he had taken. I know it's ridiculous, but consider how much worse that man has done to appease a false God. Things like castrating themselves, burning their children alive. There's so much that has been done to fulfill and appease some sort of deity for maybe some sort of positive afterlife. Tasks and tons of prayers, just checking off boxes. But what does God ask? Self-surrender. That's it. Submit yourselves to God. Because you can check off all the religious things off your to-do list. I made it to church. I read my Bible. I did this and I did this. But your heart may never be in it. Submit yourselves to God. Surrender our hearts. Continue. Verse 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That is earth shattering. That is incredible. Consider that. The writers of the Bible actually believe you can get to know God, have relationship with him, grow in the knowledge and familiarity with him. Transcendent creator God. Y'all awake? Because that is critical. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is saying, if you'll, just draw, if you'll just try, I'll make up the distance. If you'll be willing, I'll come all the way. If you'll submit yourself, I'll go to the cross for you. I'll do whatever it takes. If you'll just surrender, he will make up the distance if we're just willing to respond. Let's continue verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded you people that have a war going on inside of you. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That doesn't sound so positive. What is is James saying here? He's saying, come with repentance, not just apologies. Come with a heart that feels the weight of your sin. Peel off the callousness. It's amazing that once we start dabbling with sin, we become numb to it. Peel off the callousness and feel the crushing pain of our adultery, of our betrayal, the sin that Jesus carried on the cross. Become raw to it. Experience that so that we come before God. Verse 10, so we humble ourselves before the Lord. There's a great word. It's Greek. It's called, forgive me if I butcher it. I'm not a Greek major, proskuneo. Proskuneo is where we get the word prostrate. Think about how many times people in the Bible would lay prostrate before God. Now, proskuneo actually comes from the word to kiss. And it's the idea that we make ourselves so low before God that we are kissing the ground. Read those verses again. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And he will exalt you. You don't have to try to look good. You don't have to like make people think that you're doing well. Surrender all of that. Get on your face before God. Surrender our sin. Feel the weight of our conviction. And it will be God like Peter sinking in the water that comes over and goes, I got you. I'm going to lift you up. I call you son. I call you daughter. You're adopted into my family. I'll make you an heir of heaven. You can come boldly before the throne of my grace. I lift you up. That is the God we serve. That if we're willing to proscuneo before him, he will be the one that lifts us up out of the gutter. Let's keep reading. Because this is so beautiful. This is Paul again. verse Chapter 7, verse 24. And let's keep reading after that. Wretched man that I am. Where do you think Paul is right now? He's proscuneo. He's feeling the weight of his sin. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord! Exclamation mark. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And get this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from that warring heart free from that sin, from that broken and evil family that we used to be a part of. We are free in Christ Jesus from the law of that sin and death. Give Jesus a amen and a a hand because he's awesome. Ah, I just love him so much. If we will come to him and surrender, if we will come to him in repentance, Jesus has already won the battle. Romans 8.37. Getting tongue-tied because I'm so excited. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, it was the boxer in the ring that was the conqueror. He was the one standing when the bell rang. But when he comes home and gives his prize money to his wife as a gift, she is more than a conqueror. You see, Jesus, he went to battle for us. He died on the cross to win Victory and he gives to the person that can't fight for themselves for the person that is willing to surrender our hearts He is willing to say i've got the prize I will exalt you. I will lift you up. You are more than a conqueror. Thank you, jesus So james being james, he gets practical This has all been real heady very theological Hopefully it's weighed in on our hearts. The holy spirit's picking a little bit But it's just like james that he now gets practical Where in our lifestyle do you think humility is best shown? Verse 11, but do not speak evil, our mouths. That's where it starts. Our mouths are the steering wheel for the rest of our lives. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Remember, there's division in the church. Where is that coming from? People backbiting, people doing this, cutting each other down, gossiping, insulting each other behind each other's backs. This is where our division's coming from. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer. If you're busy doing this, cutting people down, using your mouth for those eight sins that we talked about last week, then you're not even a doer of the law. You've tried to make yourself a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to both save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What law is James referring to? It's the law that he already mentioned, back chapter two, verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law, the law of the king, according to the scripture, and here it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's going to break down division in the church? Loving our neighbor as ourself? That's the royal law from our king. Let's read that verse again. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against that law. Every time you're doing this, bad-mouthing somebody, lying, backbiting, cut-downs, gossip. Just judging, speaking evil against the law, that very good law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of it. The real judge is the one who is able to save and destroy. It's like we climb into the judge's seat in a courtroom. How embarrassing when the judge comes in and we're sitting there thinking we're worthy to cut down somebody else. Why is it called judging? Because every time we insult somebody, your teacher, your mom, that other person over there that you don't like, the person that sits over there in the cafeteria that you try not to make eyes with in the hallway, the cashier, etc., etc., etc. Every time you have something negative that you ha- that you say about them, you are putting yourself over them, and you are putting them beneath you. Does that sound like jealousy and selfish ambition? said the truth is that we are all equally beneath God. He is the judge. Romans fourteen ten. Go, Paul. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now I want to do a disclaimer here really quickly. Because the Bible uses the word judge in different contexts. Where James is warning us not to arrogantly put people down and lift ourselves up by bad-mouthing and cut-downs and all that stuff. He is not saying that we stand by and we let our brothers and sisters nosedive into sin. James in the following chapter, bless you. James in the following chapter says this, My brothers, if any one of you, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's read what Jesus says. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. We are also held to account, to to hold accountable each other. It is not love if you watch someone that you care about begin to self-destruct and you say nothing because we're not allowed to judge. That's not it at all. We We are called by Jesus, by James, to call him out and say, this is unhealthy, this is unrighteous, come back. So people that, uh, let's speak to us. So whenever we are dabbling in our sin and we know it and we're like, you can't judge me, the Bible says not to judge. We need to get our heads on right because they're the people that love us the most. They're willing to risk a friendship to call us out. All right, off my soapbox. However, we have no right to speak evil of each other, to cut each other down. We did not pay a high price for the person that we were cutting down, but Jesus did. It is such a surrender to refrain from judging, to actually take control of our mouths. It's a complete surrender. But imagine, imagine what love and mercy can do when we begin to operate humbly before God with a mouth full of only affirmation and love. I believe that God will take control of those situations and will begin to triumph in things that we thought were impossible, things like maybe friendships we didn't think were salvageable, Maybe it will be things like salvation for family members when we finally get our mouths and our hearts right before God. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe God will triumph and help us bond with people that we used to think we had nothing in common with. Maybe God will give us favor with our bosses and other employees. And here's the one that James points out. We'll begin to disarm divisions in Christ's body. It will begin to be a light in a dark world. We are supposed to run from and disarm divisions in the church, in the youth group, in our families. We have to break off these cut-downs and talking evil about each other. I'm referring back to chapters 1 through 4. How do we live out our faith? How do we live without prejudice? How do we keep our mouths in check? And James gives us the answer. By humbling ourselves before God. We proskuneo our lives before him. You remember that janitor? That hopeless, poor janitor? We are all that foolish janitor. We are all hopeless before God, but God can do the impossible. And He doesn't just put the pieces back together. He makes us new creations. Every time we come before him and go, God, I need your forgiveness. Please. I, I repent. Take me back. He restores us again and again. Who? another disclaimer. I'm a sinful husband. And it is not rare that I hurt Jackie's feelings in one way or another. But whenever I hurt her, sin against her, does it dissolve our marriage? Okay. So I want to make it very clear that those who walk in Christ because you sin again does not mean that you lose your salvation. But it does mean that you have put a stiff arm between you and your loving God that we need to ask forgiveness on a regular basis. Are we all on the same page? Okay, cool, cool. I don't want to steer anybody sideways with that. Consider this, and this is so beautiful. We cannot draw close to God without cleansing our hearts. And we cannot have our hearts cleansed without drawing close to God. That's worth taking to the bank. Just don't let that janitor be there. Elevate. We need to make, as Christ followers, a daily practice of coming before God And submitting our hearts and humbling ourselves before him and asking forgiveness. It should be part of our prayer routine that we search through and go, God, is there anything between us? Is there anything? Search me and know me. Cleanse my heart. Oh, yeah, I forgot that I did that yesterday. I forgot that I saw that yesterday. I forgot that I thought that yesterday. Lord, please forgive me. Give me the strength to not go there again. I surrender my my mind. I surrender my actions to you. This should be a regular part of our lifestyle. You know what? And just throwing this out there, you don't have to do this tonight. You don't have to do this in front of your friends or at Elevate. But maybe when you get home tonight, maybe whenever you're alone by yourself, I challenge you that as you take a time of repentance in your time with the Lord, kneel and bow down. Proscuneo before the Lord. You know what? It's not, a, it's not some sort of magic anything it's just a symbol. But symbols are powerful. Symbols go deep in us. And to be on our face before God as we ask Him to restore our relationship and to renew us again and to lift us up and exalt us again, that is a beautiful moment and a beautiful opportunity because we all are going to bow literally when we get to heaven. So let's start a practice now. We get comfortable down there. I love this. This is a prayer of David and we'll close with this. David was confronted with his own sin. And The way he writes this is a beautiful example to us of coming to him with our hearts and surrendering to him our hopelessness without him. This is Psalm 51. I'm just going to read through it, and I hope it touches you in the way it touches me every time I read it. And may our hearts be like this before the Lord on a regular basis and allow him to exalt us instead of our trying to exalt ourselves. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop. That's like bleach. Purge me, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. God, you can do it. You're the only one. I'm hopeless without you, but you can do it. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way. See that? David is saying it's right for me to go and find people that I care about and direct them back to the Lord. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth to declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are, get this, it's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will never, ever, ever despise that's what james is referring to to come before god and feel the weight of our sin and then let god cleanse us and lift us up i want to give you guys an opportunity tonight you just have a few minutes with him it is right that we regularly come before him feel the weight of our conviction See, there's a the difference between conviction and condemnation Condemnation means I feel my sin and I've got to get away from God, from the only person who has the cure. Conviction is I feel the weight of my sin and I'm drawn to the cure, who is Jesus Christ. You see, Satan brings condemnation to get you to run from God. I've blown it. I've got to get away. I'm too sinful for God. The Holy Spirit draws us with conviction and says, come back to me. I love you so much. I'm willing to forgive you again and again. I'll bleach out your heart with my Holy Spirit. May we feel on a regular basis the weight of our conviction that draws us back to the throne of grace. But there is more grace than any sin that we can bring before him. So let's take a couple minutes. Let's just spend some time in prayer. You don't have to come up. There's not a lot of room in the front, but just between you and God, you you can set up the boundaries in your mind that it's just you and God for these next few minutes as we sing this beautiful song. And bring to him your sin. Repent. Experience that conviction. The conviction that says, God, you and only you can make a difference here. And allow God to heal. Allow him to forgive. Allow him to restore. And then we can worship in a whole new understanding of what worshiping in spirit and truth is. Because we have a holy spirit before God. Spend some time with him tonight. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.